Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered round him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell among the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, Even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears, because they hear. For I tell you the truth. Many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution come because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Felicity, thank you very much indeed. And uh, let, my, let me add my uh, welcome to that of Andy's uh, earlier in the service. It is uh, brilliant to see you here. I've met a number of new people uh, this week who've just been arriving uh, into Sheffield to study. Uh, it's brilliant to see uh, some of you back and uh, others of you for the first time. You're very, very welcome indeed. Now, what I'd like you to do, if you will, please stay with me on this. I would love you to do with you everything we can so that we can focus and not have anything to distract us and everything to help us understand. And you will see why I'm making an emphasis of that as we go through. And to help us do that, there are two things I'd love you to do. One is to take up your Bible. You might just have closed it, but to open it again from where um, it was just read for us. Page 979. Please say just read. I think you'll see why I'm saying it's so important you have the Bible in front of you. The other thing that you might like to do, you can do this or not, but you might like to grab hold of uh, this uh, handout and uh, you'll see where we're going. And if you like taking notes... Um, then uh, that will help you as well. And let me encourage you to turn your phone off, uh, unless, of course, you're looking at your Bible on your phone, in which case, let me encourage you to put it onto airplane mode so that nothing distracts you. You'll see why I'm saying this uh, in a moment. And now let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you very much indeed for the Bible. And we pray now as we read it that you would indeed do the thing that uh, Andy suggested, that we would meet with you in it, and that we would not do the other thing of simply not listening at all. Uh, please, would you work powerfully in your word and in us tonight, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you've got the Bible open. We're going to come to it in just a moment. Don't close it. We are going to come to it. Uh, when the gospel really grabs you for the first time, you long to tell everyone about Jesus. It happened to me when I became a Christian 35 years ago. Uh, there was uh, an urgency. I, I know then, I knew then that Jesus was the only one who could save people from a lost eternity. I got that, and I wanted to tell everyone. And there was a joy. I, um, I discovered in Jesus the meaning of life. I mean, I hadn't been a Christian long, but I knew he was the meaning of life and he would give me full, satisfying, abundant life and so I wanted to tell people about Jesus. But as we do that, very often the responses we get are hugely discouraging. We were thinking about this last week. Uh, some of you won't know this, but uh, in uh, a couple of months' time, we will lay on eight services over two weekends in December that we call Carols by Candlelight we will be expecting 3,000 or so people to come. And we'll be spurring you on, and I'll be spurring myself on, to invite everyone we know to come to hear about the Lord Jesus. One person was telling me that last year they invited 20 people to come to Carols by Candlelight. What a great effort. Only four accepted their invitation. Still, those four did come, and they said they enjoyed it. One or two said they thought it was interesting, and one even seemed to be quite thrilled by the message. But in the new year, they didn't come back to anything. Experiencing so few actually wanting to become Christians is so discouraging. And not least of all, because it matters so much. It's a matter of life and death. I don't understand why people don't want to know about Jesus. I think of friends of mine who aren't Christians, all in their late 50s and early 60s, because I'm 55 now, so that's who I hang out with, um, all heading towards retirement, or, or they're there already, all at an age where be health is beginning to deteriorate. One has recently had a heart attack, another has a heart condition. Several have friends who've recently died of cancer. Here are my friends confronted with their mortality, statistically with just, what, 15, 20 years to go on this planet, 
physically the best years of life behind them. I'm encouraging you. I hope I am, ladies and gentlemen. What is there to look forward to? Honestly, a few years of playing golf interspersed by exotic holidays and then death. That is it. I know those of you who are younger think it's hilarious, but you will be my age one day and you will have 15 or 20 years to go and your health will be deteriorating and all you will have is a few years left and then death. I think it must be so depressing and terrifying to be at my stage of life without any hope beyond the grave. And so I can't understand why anybody wouldn't at least want to consider Jesus who claims to be able to give you life eternal. In a wonderful new creation with a new body that doesn't wear out in a perfect world. But when I pluck up the courage to speak to my friends about Jesus, there's little or no real interest. And then I'm I'm tempted to stop telling people, and that's not just my friends, but others too, because I assume that they won't want to know either. Now look, as we turn to Matthew chapter 13, eventually we've got there. The issue of discouraging results is front and center. Matthew's gospel is a training manual for disciples, for people who call themselves followers of him, of Jesus. Uh, it tells us what to expect when we obey Jesus' command, the last command in this book, to go and make disciples of all nations. Indeed, the immediate context uh, as we land in chapter 13 is that Jesus has sent out his disciples in chapter 10 to tell people about the kingdom of heaven and then in chapters 11 and 12 the response is less than encouraging shall we say we see people questioning Jesus stubbornly refusing to listen to Jesus arguing against Jesus and rejecting Jesus and so the disciples were sure to be hugely discouraged They were sure to be wondering if they were doing something wrong or if they had the wrong message because they were excited about following Jesus. Why didn't anybody else want to know? And so in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells his disciples about the kingdom of heaven and he tells them particularly about how the kingdom of heaven grows. And in the very first parable that he teaches, the parable of the sower, he tells us what to expect when we tell people the message of the kingdom of heaven. In summary, the parable of the sower, in the parable of the sower, Jesus says that we should expect most people not to become Christians when we tell them the gospel. But this parable also tells us that as we spread the message of the kingdom of God, we can expect the most extraordinary results when people do respond. Well, as we turn to the parable, see first then that uh, on the handout, God's kingdom grows through widespread telling of God's word. We saw last week that Jesus spoke to huge crowds of people. That was in verse two. Huge crowds. Thousands and thousands gathered to hear Jesus. Crowds the size of a championship football match. And whenever he spoke to those crowds, he used parables. And last week, he explained to us why he did that. If you want to listen, then the sermon's online. For those of you who were here, you'll recall that as Jesus explained why he spoke in parables, he said that his genuine followers, those who really want to know him and his kingdom, will go to him and ask him to help them understand. And he said, whoever does that, he said, I will give you understanding, loads of understanding. He will give us the secrets of the kingdom if we really want to know. And the section we're going to look at this evening, verses 18 to 23, are is is an example of that very thing. 
See how the chapter works so far. Jesus told the parable of the sower, verses three to eight. Verse 10, the disciples asked Jesus, why do you speak in parables? He told them in verses 11 to 17, and then from verse 18, the section we're going to look at tonight, he told his disciples what the parable of the sower meant. He gave them understanding. In verse 3 then, Jesus began the parable saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed, and verse 4, he scattered the seed. Now look, I am no great gardener, but I have loved having a greenhouse for the first time this year. And so back in February, I opened a packet of seeds, and I delicately dropped them into carefully prepared trays of soil, one by one. One by one, carefully positioning them in the soil. That is how I sow seed. I mean, not quite like that. It's a bit pathetic, isn't it? But anyway, that sort of thing. But that is not what is going on here. Think commercial farming rather than amateur gardener in his greenhouse. Picture a tractor driving up and down a field, and on the back of it, a machine spreading seed, scattering seed, flinging out seed. Of course, there's no tractor here, but that is the picture. That's the image Jesus gives us as we read this parable. The farmer, not carefully selecting where to put each seed, not doing what I do in the greenhouse, but scattering seed liberally. The seed, verse 19, is the message about the kingdom of heaven. Or as Jesus describes it in the verses that follow, the seed is the word, the word of God. And as the farmer flings it out, we see in the parable that it lands on all kinds of different soil. And as we'll see in a moment, and indeed as we know from our own experience, much of the seed falls on soil that is not ultimately receptive and fruit-producing. But in this parable, Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven grows through the widespread telling of the message of the kingdom. That is God's chosen method. Not to do what I do in my greenhouse, not to carefully select where to sow the seed, but to liberally scatter it. It says a lot about the character of God. In his great love, God sends the word of his kingdom far and wide to anyone who will listen. He wants everyone to hear about the life-giving message of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's exactly what is happening in this chapter. Jesus speaking to huge crowds, much bigger than this crowd, huge crowds, telling everyone who will listen about his kingdom. But because we so often get negative responses, indifferent responses we quickly become selective. Do you do this? I make a judgment call on who I'll tell based on whether I think they'll be interested or not. I look at people and think, they'll never be interested, so I don't tell them. Oh, they're not the type to become a Christian. They won't want to know. They've got life sorted. I won't tell them. They're they're sure to reject me. You see, I suddenly discriminate. I'm deciding. But God's not like that at all. Here is Jesus speaking to huge crowds, telling thousands and thousands of people the message of the kingdom. This has been a huge challenge to me this week because I know that that I don't tell everyone I meet the gospel. As we discussed this as a team this week, others said the same to me. But this is the way the kingdom of heaven grows, by scattering the seed, not by this sort of careful selection. I'll put it there and there and there. So I reckon this parable, at least in part, explains why we don't see more people becoming Christians. At least in part, it explains why churches in Britain aren't fuller. 
why we don't have more people here every Sunday. Because we only tell a selective few, like me in my greenhouse, carefully taking the seed, putting it in the soil, because I think I know the best place for it to grow. Now, that might be good practice for the amateur gardener, but it's not how the kingdom of God grows. We'll see in a moment how this parable tells us that when we do spread the message of the kingdom far and wide, not everybody will respond positively. But you see, rather than that put us off, that ought to be a very incentive to spread the message of the kingdom as far and wide as we can, so that as many as possible will respond positively. Earlier this week, I attended a conference in Leeds. Um, At the conference, a GP called Fiona was interviewed. And it was incredible. I mean, she was probably speaking for about 10 minutes. Incredible 10 minutes. She told story after story of people becoming Christians. It was hugely encouraging to listen to her. Uh, Dr. Fiona is clearly a courageous evangelist. And as I listened to her on Tuesday, I found myself thinking that she is an especially gifted person and that's why so many people have become Christians over the years. And then I came back from the conference on Tuesday and on Wednesday morning I got down to more serious work of looking at Matthew 13 and it caused me to revise my first thought about Dr. Fiona. She is clearly a courageous woman, but the reason she's seen so many people become Christians is because everyone who walks into her surgery, everyone, she tells them about Jesus. She invites all her, par- her patients to church. She sees so many people become Christians because she spreads the message of the kingdom far and wide. It's obvious when you think about it. The more people we tell, the more people who are going to become Christians. Brilliant opportunity for those of you who are just starting university. If you're anything like me, I look, you know, I'm going to try harder. I and mean, this is going to be scary for you, but I can imagine you're going to meet all these new people and you're going to be thinking, shall I tell them I'm a Christian? I won't tell them, they look really scary. We're well, just going to tell everyone. Good chance to try, isn't it? God's chosen method to grow his kingdom is through the right, widespread telling of his word. There are about a thousand of us here on any given Sunday. If we told everybody we knew and everyone we came into contact about the kingdom of heaven, there would be loads of people who reject us. If we invited everyone to church, loads of people wouldn't come, but I reckon we'd double in size in a year. The kingdom of heaven grows as the message of the gospel is spread far and wide. So you see, we've got to tell everyone we know in every possible way. I happen to think that today, personal friendship evangelism is the best way in this culture. But here's the thing. Years ago, I knocked on doors to tell people about Jesus. I would do open-air evangelism. I would take my board down to the city centre and I would tell people about Jesus even though they walked past me and laughed at me. I carried evangelistic booklets around with me and I gave them to everyone I met. Why don't I do that anymore? We mustn't restrict our evangelism to some people or one method. And we can all do this. I'm challenged by a lovely Christian couple, basically housebound. Every day they had carers coming to their house to get them up and put them to bed and administer their, their medicine. Every day they had people pop in through the, through the day to bring them meals on wheels. And whoever came to see them, they told them about Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? 
spreading the gospel far and wide to anybody they could. Think of a member of this church family who was taken into hospital. I asked her how she was and she said it was terrific being in hospital, which is not the sort of thing you expect people to say. I asked her some more. I was expecting her to tell me about the wonderful care she got from the National Health Service, which she did talk about and she was grateful for. But what she thought was terrific was that she had three other patients in the bay with her who couldn't get out of bed so they couldn't escape as she told them about Jesus. We can all do it. Whatever our circumstances, the kingdom of heaven grows through spreading the word to everyone. And then second and over the, over the page on the handout. As we spread the message of the kingdom, we should expect a mixed response. And we've already thought about this, but uh, let's have a look at these responses. Jesus describes four different responses. The first one, snatched away by the evil one. Look at verse 19. We're going to look far closer at the text now. Verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is a seed sown along the path. The Bible is very clear that there is one who is in complete and utter opposition to God and his kingdom, There is one who will do everything he can to stop God's kingdom from growing. Satan, the evil one. And all he needs to do to stop God's kingdom growing is snatch the word of God away. You see, this is the logic, and it's so obvious when you think about it. If the kingdom of heaven grows through the message of the kingdom being told, verse 19, then if you want to stop the kingdom growing, all you have to do is snatch the gospel word away. It's no more complicated than that. Now that tells us a couple of things. First, whenever we tell people about Jesus, we are in a spiritual battle. Satan doesn't want people to turn to Jesus. So as we tell people the gospel, we should pray. And second, uh, all that Satan needs to do is stop people becoming Christians. He snatched the word away. So we have to work extra hard to be sure that people not only hear the word, but understand it too. Look again at verse 19, you see. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away the word. They hear the word, they just don't understand it. So we've got to make sure we do everything we can to help people understand it. Now look, I've seen this snatching away of the word of, word of God again and again. I guess you have as well. At Christianity Explored, this course that we're uh, going to run from uh, next Tuesday, I often tell the leaders that we're likely to encounter all sorts of distractions. And not least of all, when we come to the really important part of the, of, of the course, when we're talking about the cross of the Lord Jesus. All it needs is for somebody to come in late and, and the word is snatched away. Where were we? What were we saying? It's been snatched away. It's just a little distraction like that. You know how it is when you've had a good conversation with your friends. You feel you're getting somewhere. You come to a key moment in the discussion. The phone rings. The moment's gone. Snatched away. That's why I'm saying to all of us now, please make sure there's no distractions. Focus. Slightest thing. Snatched away. Now look, I'm not trying to find the devil in everything. But you see how easy it is for the word to be snatched. So when we tell people about Jesus, we have to tell them the the same thing again and again. We can't assume that because we've said it once, they've got it. Either because it's been snatched away or they haven't understood it. We need to explain things more than once and clearly. Keep explaining till people have understood it. 
snatched away by the evil one. Second, scorched by persecution. Verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. I think of a fellow I met with every week to read the Bible. Nice bloke, thoughtful man. He was interested and attentive when we read the Bible. I, I saw him, we, his face lit up. He'd be looking, he'd say, I never knew that. That is amazing, he'd say, smiling, beaming. Are you saying that Jesus' death means that I can be forgiven for everything in the past? That's exactly what I'm saying. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah. So Jesus really rose from the dead, proving that there is life after death. That's wonderful, isn't it? He was full of joy as we read the Bible, keen to meet up every week. I didn't have to do the chasing. He, when, when can we meet next? And then one week he cancelled on me at the last minute. No problem with that. Things come up. I don't mind that at all. But when I texted him to arrange to meet the next week, he couldn't make it. And the same the week after that. And a few weeks later, I met with a mate of his who told me that our friend had been given a hard time from his family because he told them that he was coming to church now and meeting up with the vicar to read the Bible of all things. And they gave him a really hard time. And I never saw him again. It's verses 20 and 21. Verse 20, full of joy when he heard the word, yet he quickly fell away when persecution came. And without this parable, I'd be tempted to think if I'd done something wrong or question whether there was something I was missing. Maybe, maybe I should have done this with him. Maybe, no, says Jesus, that, that's what happens. As we spread the word of the kingdom to everyone we know, there'll be mixed responses, snatched away by the evil one, scorched by persecution, and third, choked by the worries of life. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. All the time, every day, look, particularly when we're watching the telly, uh, the adverts, But all the time we've been bombarded with messages that tell us that life is all about being richer and having bigger holidays and faster cars and more exotic uh, houses. We're led to believe that we'll find satisfaction and we'll discover what life is all about in in the things that, that this world has to offer. And how do we get all those things that will bring us such satisfaction? Money, usually. Earn more money. And you can have everything you want. That's the deceitfulness of wealth in verse 22. We are deceived into thinking that wealth is the gateway to having everything I want. And having everything I want is how I'll be happy. And so all the worries of this life, of our health and having a good pension and Brexit and the children's education and how we're going to pay the bills and still have a great holiday, all these worries grab us by the throat and choke us. And so we hear the word of life in Jesus, but worrying about all these other things distracts us from looking to the one, Jesus, who can give us life and satisfaction. In short, we get so worried about this world that we don't think about the next. And the word is choked. But, but look at the end of verse 22. This is new to me. I've not seen this. I've, I must have read this parable many times before over the years, but never seen this until the last few weeks. Look at the end of verse 22. 
The deceitfulness of wealth chokes it, the word, making it unfruitful. Now, what's so new to me about this? Well, it's how different it is from the second response. In the second response, when persecution comes, end of verse 21, he quickly falls away. We don't see him anymore. My mate, never, never seen him anymore. Stops reading the Bible, doesn't come to church, doesn't want to meet with me. But this third response is different. The worries of this life choke the word and, end of verse 22, make it unfruitful. I can still be around. This is the concerning thing for us here. You might continue to be part of the crowd here on a Sunday at your small group midweek, hearing the word, but because you are so worried about this life, so deceived by wealth, the word of God never changes you, never produces fruit in your life. In many ways, and to everyone else, you can look like a Christian, even a keen Christian, because you're here every week. You might even think of yourself and describe yourself as a committed Christian because you don't miss coming to church on a, on a Sunday and you're always at midweek Bible study. But, but if, we, if we could do this, if we could take a spiritual heart scan, your heart will be full of this life. And that's the reason you're not living a, a fruitful Christian life. And some of you here who lead Bible studies or who read the Bible one-to-one with others, you're sure to have encountered people just like this. They never seem to change. They never really go for it. And when that happens, if you're the Bible study leader doing one-to-one with them, you might think, is the word doing its work? Should I do something else? Am I missing a trick? And Jesus says to you and me, no, no. The kingdom grows through the spreading of the word, the widespread wedding word. There's no other way, so keep at it. But as you keep at it, know there will be different responses. Sometimes it will be snatched away by the evil one. Sometimes it will be scorched by persecution. And other times it will be choked by the worries of this life so that people aren't fruitful. But fourth, do you see that understanding produces a huge crop. Verse 23. The one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Wow, for all the disappointments and discouragements of the other responses, this is wonderful. The return, the, the, the fruitfulness is astonishing. 160, 30 times what was sown. Now, even an amateur gardener like me sees how brilliant this is. One little seed planted and growing can produce the most abundant crop. Let me tell you about my tomato plants. Sorry, my children hate me talking about my tomato plants. Now I've got all these people listening to me. A tiny seed was sown back in February, March. A plant grew. And now if you look in my, in my greenhouse, tomatoes all over the greenhouse. Imagine getting 100 tomatoes off one plant which grew for one tiny seed. Terrific return, isn't it? That's what happens when the word is sown, not tomatoes, when the word is sown, it is understood, but it does have to be understood, not just heard. Because you see, in every one of these is a response to having heard the word. Understanding is the difference. Let me take you through that again. Back to verse 19. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom, see, they have heard, 
and does not understand it, the evil one that snatches away. Verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word. Verse 22. The one who received the seed that fell on among the thorns is the man who hears the word. They've all heard it. The difference comes when it's understood. Verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. How do we understand it? That was last week. But simply, it's this. It's those who come to Jesus humbly, prayerfully, asking Jesus to give them understanding. Understanding comes to anyone who asks him. It comes to those who want him. We were singing it earlier. Give me Jesus. I want Jesus. He'll give himself to you. I want to know what life is about. He'll give you that. If you really want to know Jesus, then come to him and ask him and ask him to help you understand and he will give you it in abundance. We saw that last week in verse 12. But it's here again in verse 23. An abundant crop, 160, 30 times what was sown. A huge crop, massive returns. Look, as I bring things together, let me say you can see this in this church family. You can actually see it in loads and loads of individuals in this church family. Just in the last... Um, in the last couple of weeks, I've, I've almost, uh, my wife will tell you, I was in, in the kitchen the other day, almost in tears of joy. Tears of joy over one person, but I mean another one, who, you know, become a Christian, and they're just, they're just full of it, and they're, they're going through the most difficult times, but they are so full of the Lord, and they're an inspiration. You can see it all over this church family. But let me tell you about the church family as a whole. Uh, my predecessor but one was Philip Hacking. I think he's here. I, yeah, there he is. When he came here in 1968, the church had about 300 people attending on a Sunday. Now, by today's congregation sizes, you might think, that's a good, strong church, 300. But back in the 60s, many more people went to church. In fact, three times as many people attended church in the 60s as they do now. So when Philip Hacking arrived, this church was equivalent in today's money to a church of about 100 on a Sunday. It's all right, nothing special. As I spoke to somebody this week about Christchurch Forward in the 60s, they described it as a church quietly slumbering. But when Philip arrived, along with Margaret, supporting him wonderfully, uh, he taught the Bible. He preached the message of the kingdom from the pulpit at a midweek Bible study in the vicarage And then he visited people in their homes, telling them the gospel, and the church grew. Oh, you can ask him afterwards. He didn't do anything else, just taught the Bible. Well, I know he prayed as well. He taught the Bible. And this church grew while other churches in this land who stopped preaching the Bible declined. So while church attendance has declined by more than a third, Christ Church Forward has grown. And today the church has about a 1,000 people on any given Sunday. And in these last years, we've planted five more churches. It's not that amazing, but we've planted five more churches who also preach the word of God. And those churches, all of them are growing. And down through the years, there have been mission partners sent out from here all over the world. Paul German was praying for three of them, training in Vancouver, Sydney, and London, all over the world. And there's been so many more, and they've told the message of the kingdom of heaven, and people all over the world have become Christians. And then there's a student ministry. Over the years, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of students have heard the word of God in this church and then left here and gone off to other churches when they've uh, left uni and they've gone all over the country where they now serve Jesus by preaching the word. 
And then there's our trainee scheme where people are taught the word and many of them have gone into full-time paid gospel ministry where they now teach the word and other people have become Christians. And why has all that happened and more? Because the word of God has been spread far and wide. That's it. That's how the kingdom grows. And while I've told you about the, the huge growth, because we're thinking about the fourth response in verse 23, I am sure that if you are to speak to people who've been around since the 60s and 70s, and there are a good number here, they will also tell you story after story of people who heard the word but did not respond or who fell away. But despite those discouragements, they knew that the kingdom of heaven grows through the widespread scattering of the word of God. And so they kept at it. And you see, the kingdom of heaven has grown 160, 30 times what was sown. So yes, it is discouraging when you ask 20 people to carry us by candlelight and only four come. And then even after those four come, you see little or no response from, from them in the new year. And yes, it is totally perplexing when you have friends like mine whose best years are behind them and ahead of them, all they have to look forward to are a few years of playing golf and occasional exotic holidays and then death and still they don't want to hear about Jesus but when we're discouraged Jesus says don't stop telling people the gospel and don't start being selective in who you do tell the gospel to know that the kingdom of heaven grows through the widespread telling of God's word tell everyone you meet in any way you can and when you do you'll get a mixed response but know that when the seed of the word falls on good soil, the result will be spectacular. Let's pray together. We thank you, our Lord and God, that as we turn to Matthew 13, we hear the Lord Jesus teaching us very clearly. We thank you that he teaches us how your kingdom really does grow. And we pray that in those moments of huge discouragement, when we wonder if we're doing something wrong, that we keep at it, teaching the word of God uh, to whoever will listen, wherever we can, in any way we can. And we pray that when we see these different responses, we will remember this parable, remembering that this is exactly what Jesus said would happen. And we ask that when you give us the boldness and we take the courage to do the thing we ought to do, that we might indeed see many seeds falling on good soil, producing a wonderful crop that would see your kingdom growing and would make our hearts rejoice in Jesus' name. Amen.